welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Today on Transformative Principle, I'm excited to give you a preview of the Authority Podcast. And in this first episode of the Authority Podcast, I am interviewing Dr. Susie Wise. Now, the Authority Podcast is part of the new B Podcast Network, which I encourage you to check out at bpodcastnetwork.com. And while there, you can get a link to the RSS feed of all the shows that are coming out on the B Podcast Network. And if you subscribe to that, that would be awesome because there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming out. We're going to do something different with this and it's going to be really cool. In a couple of weeks, I'll share more about that in the first episode of Transformative Principle releasing in August. So looking forward to that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. If you like what you hear, please share it. That means a lot. And if you do join the B Podcast Network and subscribe to that, please share that with others as well. Thanks so much for listening. And here's my interview with Dr. Susie Wise. This is the Authority Podcast, where we talk with people who are the authority on their subjects. I'm the creator, Jethro Jones. Join us as we discuss a wide range of topics from education to sociology to high performance and anything in between. We are a proud member of the B Podcast Network. You can find more of our shows at bpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the inaugural The Authority Podcast interview. Today, I am interviewing Dr. Susie Wise. She is a design leader with experience in the education, tech, and social sectors. She coaches leaders in equity design and innovation practices. She teaches at the D School at Stanford, and previously, she founded and directed the K-12 Lab at the D School and co-created Liberatory Design. She was a previous guest on Transformative Principle, episode 121, where we talked about Shadow a Student, and episode 122, where we talked about the design thinking process. Now, to be honest, I credit much of the work I did to write my book, School X, to that conversation with Susie, and I can pretty much draw a direct line back to that conversation that helped me understand design thinking better than any other way that I had studied it previously and inspired me to write School X, which is all about redesigning your school for the people right in front of you. So I think, Susie, this is a great uh, follow-up to that several years later. That was in 2016. It's now 2022. A lot has changed in the world, and I'm excited to have you here. So thanks for coming. Yeah, Jessica, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, so Design for Belonging is your new book, and we want to talk about that. And you, I mentioned in the bio that there's this big piece about equity, and we often confuse equity with equality. So can you help us understand what the difference is between those two? Absolutely. So equity is that sense of recognizing that everyone is starting in a different place. And so to get to an ultimate goal of equality, we may have to build in different kinds of supports. 
so that we can one day get to equality. So equity is really helping us to take into account where things are right now that takes into account history, it takes into account discrimination in systems, et cetera, and helps set everyone on the course so we can get there one day, hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the ideal. And so how how is that different than equality? And what do people typically mean when they're saying equity or equality? Like, what are the things people are typically trying to get at? And how do you help them see that designing for belonging means that you you build in those structures to support. Tell us about that. Thank you. Yeah. So the reason I'm raising up this notion of belonging is I think that belonging is the feeling that we're going for when we talk about equity. Belonging is that sense of being able to show up and be your whole self to get what you need to participate and to contribute into whatever context you're working. That might be in a work environment, that might be in a school environment. Belonging is a feeling that you wanna have to be able to fully contribute. One of the things that I found is that sometimes when people talk about just equity, it gets a little technical. It can send them into the space of thinking just about numbers and it becomes somewhat non-relational. Belonging, because it's a feeling that we have probably all had, and we've sometimes had the other feeling of feeling like we don't belong, you can kind of zoom in on what it is you're really trying to create, again, in your school or organization. You want people to feel like they belong so that they can show up and really build whatever you're trying to build, right? They, they can be creative and part of things. So I think it's that feeling of belonging helps us get to the human need. That points us then in the direction of what we need to accomplish when we're thinking about equity challenges that we're trying to resolve or equity goals that we might have. I, I like that idea of focusing on the feeling of belonging because you can be, you can have equal to everybody else and still not feel like you belong. You can have equity, which is supports to help you get to that point and still feel like you don't belong. And so that's where in, in my mind, there's a lot of these ideas that are out there about creating equality or equity, and they don't actually get to the sense of belonging that you're talking about. So being able to be your full self and contribute is really a nice way to say that, that you feel not just welcome, but you feel part of the group. And that's that's really valuable. What led you to see that as being something so important? Since you've done so much design work and work on this before, what led you to recognize that? It was actually work that I was doing with school principals who were taking up design mindsets and thinking about how to design the culture of their school and how they could pull different design levers to build more student-centered school environments, learning environments. At a certain point, we wanted to say, now that you've been using these design mindsets to make change, can we be sure that you're focusing those design mindsets on supporting the students furthest from opportunity? on your actual equity challenges? Can those design mindsets not just be the nice-to-haves, but can you go after your hardest challenges, your equity challenges, and your school? And that's where I saw that sometimes that got to a place of overwhelm for leaders, 
And they would sometimes, of course, not always, but sometimes revert to a kind of technical numbers-based approach. And not the numbers don't matter. We want to look at any kinds of patterns. But when I raise the notion of belonging, and here I want to give credit to, I started um, using the work of John Powell, who has a, a framework around othering and belonging, that when we raised up this notion of belonging, leaders were like, oh, that feeling. I know what it feels like when I belong. I do want that for my students. And I'm going to have to investigate in new ways what we can design to get there. So it was just this kind of really experimental move that I made to share just a little bit of Powell's writing with his co-author, Stephen Menendian. Sharing that work, I just saw a shift in the leaders and what they wanted to do and how they were able to pick up the tools of design. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting because I think it's that place of the feeling, we all know the feeling, and then because of that, we can start to see, oh, wow, these folks get to have that feeling an awful lot. And these folks, not so much. How can we disrupt the kind of pattern so we can get to the place where we're really building more belonging and we're addressing any context where we find that othering is emerging? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'm trying to think of how that how that changes how people respond. And so you you mentioned that once you made that shift, then people felt, I'm putting words in your mouth, but they felt more equipped or capable of tackling the challenge. What about that shift made that more, more possible for them? I think it piqued their curiosity in a new way. And then it primed them to use design tools differently. If you know that you're going for the feeling, you can investigate it in a really human-centered way. You can use tools to say, gosh, tell me about your journey here in this school or here in this team or here in this business. What were your ups and downs of belongings? People can start to share times they felt belonging and times they didn't in really authentic ways. And that starts you then to be able to tune into your design approach and say, wow, I'm noticing that this particular moment is one where a lot of people don't feel belonging. Then you've picked up something concrete and a moment in your organizational's organization that that you can go after. And then you can also open the other thing that I do in the book is to say focus on moments and then also open up the way you think about the things you can design. In the book I call them levers of design. That we often think in kind of limited ways about what we can design. We could write an email, we could have a meeting, but in fact, you can go much further and start to think about space or role or ritual or really using schedules and time in new ways. And that opens up what you can do. I I just love that. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the power of ritual in what we do and how there are seasons to to a school year that enable you to do something different. And in a business setting or in a community group, there are rituals that exist to make you feel like you belong. And if there's a disruption or a challenge or something that causes those to not happen, then you can feel that as a participant in that community or organization and see that you're 
desire of what you wanted to do is now disrupted. And then that makes you feel like you don't belong as much because that thing was there. And even if you weren't part of the organization when that thing was happening, not having it and hearing the loss of that makes it challenging. What would you add to that approach? Well, I would I would just say that we can look at this are the time of the pandemic and the number of rituals that had mm-hmm. to go by the wayside and what that did for people, how that made them feel like they weren't as much a part of something, weren't able to build community in the same ways. I think the pandemic is a really interesting moment for us to look at too, because it shows us that we can actively <clears throat> redesign and imagine new things. The pandemic really helps us to notice the things that went by the wayside because we couldn't do them. And also to recognize the creativity that we had in creating new rituals, the new kinds of events that people created on Zoom, mm-hmm. you know, seemingly overnight. And great if one day we're able to go back to really doing many more of those things in person, but also look at the things that came out of that, the Zoom dance parties that were international in mm-hmm. scale. They never would have happened if you were just having it at your local dance hall, for instance. The, that you know, So there's something really powerful, I think, in this moment that can help us tune to, wow, everything that's designed can actually be redesigned. And so the disruption of new designs is, can be a powerful way that we learn about the power of design. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk more about the pandemic in a moment, but one of the things that I want to to bring out is that the pandemic forced me to launch. So my first book came out in the fall of 2021, and it was like a total dud, right? Because nobody was thinking about anything. I'm sorry, fall of 2020, not 2021. Nobody was thinking about anything except like what is going on with this pandemic. And so my second book came out in the spring of 2022 and there were people were getting back together and starting to do things. But then I wanted to do this book launch. That would be this powerful experience. And so what I did is I created it on zoom because I had so much practice with zoom during the pandemic and even before. And so what we did is we got together, we connected with each other over Zoom, and then we actually wrote a book together in the time of a Pomodoro timer with everybody giving their input on how to be a transformative principal. And because of that, I probably would not have planned something like that had it not been for the pandemic, but I knew I needed to to talk about my book and get it out there and get people to buy it and all that kind of stuff. And this experience allowed me to not just go on podcasts and do interviews, which I did, not just email my people about it, which I did, but also to create an experience around this book launch that people walked away from saying, that was powerful, I'm glad I did it, and and thank you, that was good. And that's the kind of thing that we want to be doing, is providing these experiences for people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I I hear in that, and I'm curious if you want to reflect on it all, I hear how that built belonging, too, that seizing that moment, focusing on it, giving people new ways that they could participate and join in. It sounds like co-writing or submitting to create together. That contributing is a powerful way to get to belonging. That's one of the moments that we want to analyze when we look at, you know, in our organization, in our work, in our schools, 
what are the moments we can recognize pretty readily the importance of kind of the welcome and the entry and what those early moments are like. But then we need to continue to keep designing for how do you participate? How do you grow? How do you persevere? How do you even grapple when things are not going as you wanted to? Mm -hmm. These are moments that we can design the experiences of um, that become really powerful towards belonging. Yeah. Well, and the thing that was great is that one person wrote to me afterward and said, because of that experience of your book launch, I was able to get into flow for the first time in months. And it it just felt so good to be there again and encouraged me to find other ways to be to get myself into flow again. And it, it led to this great discussion about what flow is and how do we learn about that and how do we get it and all that kind of stuff. And and it definitely made fe- people feel like they belonged to something bigger than themselves. So yes, the book launch was about my own personal book, but then I said, you're going to write another book with me and then we're going to publish that also. And so I'm still working through like editing and designing that so that it's a, a worthwhile reading experience also. But that is something that really, I I had multiple people say this was valuable. And I hope what they got is a different insight into who I was and what I could offer and how I could work with them and help them become, uh, design their schools or whatever differently to meet their needs and not just, you know, let's just do it this way because we've always done it that way. Yeah, that's, that's so powerful. So two things to follow up on there. Flow is one of the moments of belonging that I like to call out because that's kind of, that can be a measure. If you are in the flow and others are in flow, that's very likely that belonging is a part of that. It's very hard to get to that place if you don't feel like you belong. And then the other piece is what you created in terms of creating a container for people to contribute and not necessarily knowing where it's right. You posited that it was a book, but nobody knew what kind of a book it was going to be. And the specifics matter less than the creating of that container that you designed so that people could show up and put themselves forward. It also sounded like it allowed you to belong in a different way. You got to show and be different parts of yourself than maybe you are in other contexts. And that's the that's the power of belonging is that we when we build contacts where people belong, we get to show up. It's why it matters in workplaces. We get to show up and offer the different parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. So let's go back to the idea of how the pandemic has changed things because it certainly has. And is do you think that this idea is more accepted now than it was before the pandemic? And how is that the case? Yeah, I, I think there's a I think there's an interesting intersect. We also have to talk about during the context of the pandemic, we had the re-emergence of Black Lives Matter and the recognition that we were maybe in a new moment in terms of reckoning with the racialized history of this country. So I think that brings to the fore then an interest in working on equity, which I think is part of again, how belonging helps us to work towards equity is really apparent in this moment. So I think people are looking for new and powerful and humanizing ways to work towards equity. So that's one piece. 
And then just on the pandemic side, the disruption and work and school, et cetera, I think it's done two things. It's both caused us to want to focus on belonging because so many people felt separated from the ways that they were used to belonging. And it also, I think, opens up, and this is maybe a little underarticulated culturally right now, but the actual, the role of design in that, that we can recognize that in change, we can actually create forward and try to design for the world that we really want to see, one with more belonging. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And I feel like one of the tragedies of the pandemic is that it polarized people and pushed them to to extremes of spectrums rather than recognizing that we can belong with people who are on a different on a different level of the spectrum than we are. Does does that make sense what I just said there? Yeah, well, I like to talk about it sometimes as recognizing that belonging is not a zero-sum game. Exactly. We're going to belong, right, in different ways, in different groups, right? We're going to belong in one way in family and family groupings and then in broader community groupings. And that's normal and natural. We're not trying to get to just one version of belonging. I think that's why design helps us also because it helps us recognize there are these experiential moments that we want to work towards creating that can be really helpful. One of the frames that the Othering and Belonging Institute at Berkeley uses is bridging. We have to build bridges. Bridging is an act of creating and design can help us do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so going back to that idea of we've been polarized into extremes, it makes it so much more difficult to build those bridges because we I think we have a harder time now seeing our commonalities than we do than we did before. That we could we could go to work and we could interact with people. And the, a good example of this is is standing around a break room or a water cooler or something like that. That we could have these informal discussions and talk about things that are very difficult to do on Zoom. You can have five different conversations going on in the same room very easily in person, but exceptionally difficult to do in a big Zoom meeting, right? So then you have to go into breakout rooms and you may not be with someone you want to be. And and so that can make it challenging as well. And I think that, that recognizing that helps us see that we need to do more of those informal bonding type activities to help us see how we belong in different ways with each other. And when meetings were you know, just getting to the point of what needed to be done and you weren't designing for an experience like that, like many people were, weren't at the beginning of the pandemic, but people got better at over time. You saw that that polarization happened and it became very easy to say, if that person says this thing, then therefore I can't, I can't trust them on anything else because I disagree on this one polarized issue. Yeah, 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 <clears throat> definitely. People got into trouble around not building the context in which you could connect to your own feelings and then safely connect to the feelings of others. The framework I use in the book to structure the whole thing is feel it, see it, shape it. So that recognizing how do you feel and how do others feel, seeing into that, what kind of a moment is that, naming it as such so that then you can design around it. And the shaping it 
is that opening of the design levers that you want to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. I think that's so, so powerful to that idea of feeling it, seeing it, shape it. It's, it's easy to, to just do things because that's how we've always done it. And the beauty of the pandemic is that it forced us to stop and think, is this the right way to do it? Is this what we want to continue? But I like that idea of you, you feel something and then you see what it is, you identify it, and then you shape it to be what you want. Can you go into a little more detail and give an example of how you would do that in real life? Yeah. And the thing about shaping it is one of the things that I like to know, and you'll remember this from talking about scory tool and, and the notion of hacking. The, the, the shaping work is creating safe-to-fail experiments mm-hmm. that you haven't, just because you've had a brainstorm or generated some ideas or maybe even pulled in some different levers, you don't know how some a new idea is going to work. So you have to create the context of a safe-to-fail experiment in order to understand how it might work. An example that I like to share it's actually from the before times, but I think it's the kind of the process. Yeah, that's okay. We can take good things from before the pandemic. That's good. <laughs> um, school leader in Colorado is um, arrives at a new school. Uh, he's going to be the new assistant principal. And he gets there and he asks the question about like, so, you know, what kinds of assemblies should we do for this year? They're thinking ahead to what assemblies are like. And the principal says to him, oh, you know what? We don't have assemblies here. Like, we can't do those. And new assistant principal kind of is scratching his head thinking like, oh, okay, well, that's a really interesting measure of how the culture is. (laughs) We can't even gather and do, you know, a whole group experience. And he says to himself, all right, I'm going to start small. That says to me that teachers might not be in strong relationships with each other. And if teachers aren't in strong relationships with each other, it's hard for them to model the strong relationships that they're hoping to see in their classrooms. He brings in an advisory or a crew type model. So thinking about setting aside time for teachers to just with small groups focus on relationship building amongst the young people in small groups. Again, assembly is set aside, but he's working on this small group notion. And in that context, they do a lot of things that are very pro-belonging. They get to share their backstories. They get to share about their families. They play games that are super collaborative where they have to learn about the skills of the other students in their group, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Builds in that way a really strong advisory program. The teachers are really behind it because they've actually done all of these activities together in the adult world. Um, on their own. And then they have a lot of fun bringing that out in their students. At a certain point of the year, he's able to say, you know what? All of these classes are such human-centered functioning groups of crews that I think we can do an assembly. And they build an activity and I'm forgetting the exact um, specifics of it, but it was some kind of a giant puzzle that they did. And it meant that each one of those small groups had to bring their piece of the puzzle to the gym. And then that kind of laid out a picture that then they had an assembly about the the meaning of that and did some activities related to it. 
It was a beautiful thing, but it took those steps to get there. They weren't going to just do an assembly and have all kinds of disciplinary repercussions from it. That wasn't the way to do it. The way to do it was to break it down and start small and start from the feelings and build that come from building authentic relationships. So that to me is like, is that thing of you got to feel it, then take up something to try for one of those moments. That was that community building moment that he worked on. And then it was able to grow. And so from a school, you know, that had was able to have zero assemblies, they were able to have three or four assemblies in that next year. That's actually really powerful growth. And the students could see it and feel it. So could the teachers and they were able to build from there. Mm, yeah. That's that's really great. I'm I'm glad you shared that because you can extrapolate that to just about anything else. And the idea that we have something we want to do, and then we feel a a negative reaction to what the culture is or what we've already done, and then saying how do we get back to that point, and then breaking it down into small steps. I think that was a really good illustration of that. Um, so the final question I ask is. If people could only read one part of your book, and that was that was all they had time for, all they could fit in, what part should they read? Ooh, that's a hard question. Excellent. That was the point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me see. I think, well, I don't want to do it. Can I say two things? Right, no, I'll, you have I'll, to I'll say just one, I Susie. I have to say just, just one, one, just one. I think I'm going to choose the exercise on page 137, right? Design and action to build belonging. And if you happen to read the two pages that follow, good for you. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> um, good. So that's, that's really towards the end of the book where it kind of all comes together. And it sets up for anyone who's reading it, the notion of the how might we, which is my favorite design tool using that frame of how might we towards building belonging. Beautiful. I love it. And I know that is a very challenging question. And I have asked myself that same question for both of my books as well, because I think it's so important to say, if you don't get anything else out of this, what do you do? And, and I know it's hard, but I'm, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's great to talk about it. <laughs>